Are you tired of cookie-cutter art fairs with miles of aisles of sterile cube-like booths? Well, you're in luck, because the Independent Art Fair is about to return to New York. From March 6th through the 8th, this year's edition of the city's Alternative Art Fair will give its spacious, boothless format over to invitation-only showcases of artworks from taste-making galleries and institutions like Zurich's Ava Pressenhuber, Berlin's Perez Projects, New York's Karma, and White Columns. For more information and 10% off of fair passes, visit independenthq.com and use the code ARTNET. That's A-R-T-N-E-T, ARTNET. We are all fresh scoops today, all right? Can I get a scoop, scoop? Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Recently, New York City saw the inauguration of a new museum spread across 25,000 square feet in a prime location in Soho. It has sparked a media frenzy with demand so strong that its $39 tickets, higher than any major museum in America, regularly sell out. But we're not talking about the Museum of Modern Art. Instead, we're talking about the Museum of Ice Cream. Founded in 2016 by a 24-year-old Mariellis Bunn and her business partner Manish Vora, a veteran of the art dot-com boom, the Museum of Ice Cream has confounded critics while delighting the selfie-hungry masses since its debut as a pop-up in Manhattan's meatpacking district, when its distinctly Pollyanna offerings, most famously a swimming pool filled with artificial rainbow sprinkles, drew sold-out crowds. To many galleries and museums have been falling since the advent of the internet. Could the Museum of Ice Cream chart a way forward? What's clear is that the Museum of Ice Cream has grown from a pop-up into a colossus, valued at an astounding $200 million, with locations in New York and San Francisco, and vague but tantalizing plans to evolve into a whole universe of experiences and branded products. But what is the Museum of Ice Cream exactly, and what does it have to do with art? To find out, I'm very happy to be joined on the podcast today by Artnet News Chief Art Critic, Ben Davis, who took time out of his President's Day vacation to go visit this thing. So thanks for coming back on The Art Ankle, Ben. Cool to be here, Andrew. So I've never been to the Museum of Ice Cream. Mm -hmm. If I were to imagine a Museum of Ice Cream, I'd think of a sleekly architected building full of refrigerated vitrines with particularly historic examples of ice cream, like the first Rocky Road or the first chocolate chip cookie dough. Is this that? No, it is not. For those who don't know, the Museum of Ice Cream is something more akin to an ice cream themed playground hmm. that you wander through a series of interconnected hot pink environments where you're served ice cream by very cheerful employees where you can take photos, for instance, in a fake subway car that's lit in spooky colors or a dance floor where you can pretend that you're a, a DJ. You can go down a bright pink slide that traverses three floors. You can uh, wallow in the pool of plastic ice cream sprinkles that you mentioned earlier. There's literally a playroom with teeter-totters, basketball hoops, swings, all of them ice cream themed. So you're kind of really jacked up on all the sugar and ice cream. Oh, yeah running around this playground, are people really engaging with it and playing with it like it's a playground or are they engaging with it in a different kind of way? Well, it depends on who you are. I personally left the experience feeling 
bloated and depressed, but I would freely <laughs> admit that um, 40 year old solo male is probably the diametric opposite of the target Museum of Ice Cream demographic. There are lots of families, there are lots of couples, there are lots of groups of people coming through. How you interact with the different environments sort of depends on the way that you choose to go through it. For me, it was a lot of gopping and feeling very lonely and lost, <laughs> but mainly it's a social experience. You're there to take photos of yourself, have your friends take photos of you. Um, if you're a parent, to chill out in the adult section of the sprinkles pool while your kids now very jacked up on sugar go crazy at the other end of the room. So I think the way most people experience a museum of ice cream is on Instagram through pictures sure. of their friends and family members. who The have been- classic example of an Instagram environment. So is this made deliberate within the space? Is there anything that says this is your occasion to take selfies? Is there anything that really bakes that into the actual quote unquote museum experience itself? Well, I would say that as an art critic, a lot of this stuff resembles various forms of installation or interactive participatory art. I have to say in most cases or in a lot of the cases, they feel like stage sets as in they need you to complete them with a a photo. Hmm. If you're passing through it like I was on your own, it it feels like a very partial and incomplete experience because it's really the participation, the interaction, the photo sharing that completes it. As for, you know, the prompts, there are barcodes on the walls that'll help you access a custom Instagram filter. There are very perky attendants who explain to you how it works, offer to take photos with you or of you and encourage you to photograph yourself. The physical experience over there feels a little kind of sickly or unreal to me, mm-hmm. but it looks good on film. And I think that's that's very deliberate. These are environments that are constructed to be experienced as an image. So what you describe with slides and sprinkle pools, it doesn't really sound like a museum at all. Well, the creators of the Museum of Ice Cream have coined a new term uh, for what they're doing. They call it an experium, combination of experience and museum. And I think that they, that sort of gets at something. You know, this is a, an environment that pulls in the kind of idea or skeleton or body memory of a museum, as in you're wandering through it. But it's not really about the objects. It's not about learning, although there are a peppering of ice cream facts throughout the space that gives hmm. it this this sort of light sprinkling, if you will, of <laughs> educational topping. So not to get too nerdy, but the word museum comes from the Greek museon, which meant the seat of the muses and indicated a place of philosophical thought and discussion where you could contemplate mm-hmm. objects of beauty, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Is there anything that is a big idea that is being debated and discussed about this museum of ice cream? It is not a space of contemplation. I think to a certain extent, it is very explicitly picking up on this idea of participation as the the main activating thread of contemporary culture. Hmm. That is, in the museum world, something that interestingly has been um, percolating for about the last decade. So in 2011 at the New Museum, they had a show by an artist, Belgian artist named Karsten Haller. The show was called Experience. Hmm. And 
he is an artist who makes works that are meant to be participatory. And among his most famous is a slide, a slide of precisely the kind that the new permanent museum of ice cream has installed within their space. And it was pretty much just a slide. And the rhetoric around it was all about the creative reward of having an active experience being active activated as a museum viewer instead of having a passive museum experience Mm. where you were merely being a a receiver of culture. You were part of the culture. So it had a kind of mission to it. That was a tremendously popular show. And at the time, I thought, you know, what this really proves is that New Yorkers are tremendously (laughs) slide-deprived. Get these people some slides. So that's a conversation that's been percolating in the museum world. There was like a kind of an artistic discourse around experience, around participation. And the Museum of Ice Cream and similar kinds of environments have taken various aspects of the art world, along with various aspects of the consumer environment, into this new intermediary weird thing that really brackets out all the other ways it was talked about as art and just focuses on the pure fun, participatory part of it. In the Karsten Huller case in 2011, his works were very fun. And that was offered to you as like, this is the dessert. You know, the museum experience is your vegetables. This museum of ice cream takes away the main course and it just gives you the dessert. It's just the participation and the fun part presented without the background of some kind of educational experience. This is not your grandfather's museum. In a lot of ways, it's not even my museum. So way back in 2016, you actually coined a term for a trend that you saw coming into view that really seems to have predicted the Museum of Ice Cream, which is something you called big fun art. Yeah. So what is big fun art? Well, I view big fun art, what I call big fun art, not just to be a trend, but actually to be the dominant innovative trend in visual culture right now. That is these sorts of for-profit, interactive entertainment environments that look kind of like art, but kind of like something that you wouldn't ordinarily consider to be art, more like a haunted house or a playground or selfie backdrop, so on. And let let me just say, as background to that statement, that in culture at large, this has been a tremendously transformative and disruptive decade. The, the 2010s that we just lived through. The way people consume music unrecognizably transformed by streaming and platforms like SoundCloud that create new forms of micro subcultures, new ways to circulate music, destroy old forms of media consumption. The movie industry is completely wobbling and transformed. The mainstream studios completely centralizing around Star Wars and, and superhero movies, mid-budget movies kind of dropping away. TV becoming a new kind of center of things, people consuming a lot of web videos and amateur-made content. Like the world of moving image as it's consumed has completely transformed. If you look at the mainstream art world, the world that we are immersed in and look at professionally, not always so clear that it's that transformed, right? I mean, people are still going to museums. The museum itself looks kind of like it did 10 years ago. The galleries look kind of like they did 10 years ago. The kinds of art objects people are making in general, paintings, sculptures, interactive environments, performances, a lot the same. 
the place where there's been a huge disruptive transformation is really around the margins in these para art spaces that are outside of the typical nonprofit structure of art, have been seeded with various forms of venture capital, and have really taken advantage of the moment to construct these new kinds of experiences that I call big fun art because these kind of art does what it says on the box. And also consciously, I think in all cases, oriented towards families, young people, adolescents, hmm. as well as adults, but very explicitly creating experiences that are like the blockbusters that center the entertainment world now pitched at a very, very wide audience. And you were saying how there were all these changes over the past decade. One is the encroachment of the digital world into our everyday kind of life. And this has given rise to something known as the experience economy. Before everybody was immersed in their virtual worlds 24-7, experience wasn't something that was distinguished from real life in any way. Everything was an experience. But now an experience is something that is worth paying a premium for because it is outside of your normal leisure consumption, which is so often happening in digital. How does something like Big Fun Art and like the Museum of Ice Cream fit into a yearning that people are having that can be monetized? <laughs> well, uh, you know, capitalism never met a yearning that it, it, it could monetize, right? Oh. But, you know, experience is a funny word, right? In some sense, yeah, the contemporary craze for experiences is a contradictory thing because it seems to coincide with people spending a lot more time on their devices, which is the opposite of what the word experience suggests it suggests it's like direct experience. These are mediated forms of media consumption. And so the experience economy is this really funny thing that seems to somehow both depend upon the social mediaization of everything and be in tension with it because it does represent a hunger to have some sort of direct in the world communion with actual people. One of the things I would pose is that I don't think experience is directly in tension with mediated content. I think what actually it's in opposition to is critical or intellectual content. Kind of having a critical thought about something, bringing in history and context, that all takes time. Hmm. So the faster information moves, the more everything in the information environment shifts over to the realm of emotion and first impressions and the image as a sort of pre-intellectualized thing. So the experience economy really seems to me to be the form of culture that is aimed very directly at that sweet spot, at literally these big fun artworks like the Museum of Ice Cream. It's like haunted house kinds of environments, stuff that is really pretty much as close to like tapping directly into the lizard brain part of your perceptions where it's just like, look at me, the, the shimmering light of, of mass culture calling you in. Now we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. This month in New York, Marion Boski Gallery presents two solo shows you won't want to miss. The first is Jessica Jackson Hutchins' Restless Animal Kingdom, featuring the artist's new ceramic work. As part of the show, the gallery will host a special performance on March 5th with Trisha Brown dancers outfitted in Hutchins' wearable sculptures. Also on view is Serge Alain Nitigetka, Black Migrant, a moving multimedia exhibition that speaks to the Black Migrant experience. 
Visit both shows now through April 18th at Marion Bosky Gallery in Chelsea. For more information, visit MarionBoskyGallery.com. So who are these brilliant artists who are behind this confection of experience? So there are co-founders. The face of the Museum of Ice Cream is Mary Ellis Bunn, who is, has been described as the millennial Walt Disney. And then Manish Vora, her co-founder, and a character that um, is familiar to people from around the edges of the art world during the 2010s. He was a Citigroup banker who quit finance in order to try and revolutionize the art market and create something that was more youth-focused and targeted at a younger demographic. So he started out with a sort of social listings calendar called Art Log. He jumped from that to another thing called Gray Area, which sold artistic multiples, looking to transform art objects into a more mass consumer good and jump from that to something called Lightbox, which was a gallery and event space essentially that had was high tech and customized for experiences and that could be rented out. All those things that sort of were throwing darts at the edges of the of the art market. These investment ideas preceded the launch of the Museum of Ice Cream in 2016, which caught lightning in a bottle in a way that none of the previous things had and has created this basically new category of experience. It's interesting. They have this offshoot in San Francisco because Bun has a tendency to talk in classical Silicon Valley mm -hmm. founder speak, making pronouncements like advertising is dead and I see retail as a dead industry. At the same time, she seems to be trying to disrupt or reinvent both of those fields. So is it possible that the Museum of Ice Cream is intersecting more with the worlds of retail, real estate, and advertising than it is with the world of art and museums? <laughs> well, I mean, look, let me defend talking about it in the art context. I've been at events. I've been at events where these things come up and you can see people who are traditional museum people, their hands clench, you know, this stuff drives them up the wall. And then on the other hand, I hear people all the time saying, you know, why are people so resistant to this? We need to learn these tools. This is the way visual culture circulates now. How do we get some of this for what we're doing for, for the art world? The idea that it's fruitless to oppose real artistic experience to Instagram experiences because Instagram is everything now. That's a real tension playing out in museums all over the place. We talked about the Yayoi Kusama phenomenon a couple of episodes ago, which is similar. And this very venerable avant-garde artist who created mirror environments that once the world of social image sharing came in, suddenly took on a huge new life. And we talked about how when I wait in line for those experiences, you talk to the other people in line and ask them, oh, what do you like about Yayoi Kusama? They'll be like, Yayoi who? The, those kind of art experiences have taken on a life that far exceeds the art world. I think the Museum of Ice Cream, yeah, it's not an art experience. It is true, however, that in some kind of ways, they are in competition with, with museums. There are studies going back a long time where they look at the motivations for people going to museums. The stereotypical art critic way that you go to a museum, the solo pilgrim, the spiritual journey where you go to commune with the past and reflect on the present, that is an extreme minority 
like a vanishingly small minority in terms of why people go to arts and cultural experiences. It doesn't move the needle in terms of what gets people in the door. If, if what you're thinking of is attendance, the most common reason people go to museums is as a social experience with their parents, the date with friends and so on. It's kind of big fun. Art experiences really isolate that social element of it and then rebuild the visual cultural environment around it. A very influential study of the kind that you're referring to was done by LaPlaca Cohen's mm -hmm. Culture Track a few years back that found that 81% of people said that having fun was their top motivation in going to a cultural destination. So obviously you have the traditional museums looking at something like the Museum of Ice Cream with a little bit of revulsion, but also a great amount of attraction. It's interesting. In the last year, the Museum of Ice Cream has just blown up and has gotten this new huge round of venture capital funding and spun off a parent company called Figure 8, which is going to try and replicate this in a lot of new uh, venues and fields. So interestingly enough, Bun in her new patter about what she's doing now talks about trying to get people away from their phones, mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me. I mean, as I said earlier, I don't think the Museum of Ice Cream experience without your phone is much of an experience. Like it's chintzy on the inside as a physical object, but there's enough of a backlash and anxiety about the way through your phone, experiencing life through your phone has affected people's modes of communication, sense of self and so on in negative ways that now she's positioning herself weirdly against this. Like, as I see it, the entire core of what hmm. um, has made them successful, they're claiming that phase two of the great Museum of Ice Cream experience is going to take you back to an unplugged world beyond this kind of Instagram environment. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. Because that's the funny thing is that in her rhetoric, Mariella has been talking about how she sees the Museum of Ice Cream's great value proposition as a place for people to go and have meaningful human interactions. I wonder how how much the venture capitalists who are backing with her have thought down this road. Well, I don't think it's totally implausible, you know, until this decade. Museums pretty often said no photos. It was only after sort of early middle of this decade when it just became clear how powerful a force social media, socially shared images were as an advertising thing and also just as the way that young people um, experience physical spaces now. Depending on who you are, you'll find that really welcome development that lowers the bar to what is a stuffy and often off-puttingly elite feeling environment, or you'll lament the fact that it has eroded the quality of experience in the museum. Museums, I do think, are flirting with this form and thinking, how do we get a taste of that? But at the same time, what museums have classically offered which is this place of pilgrimage, uh, a refuge from the an otherwise very frenetic media environment. Those kind of classical strengths seem to me to resonate with all this incredible new obsessions with mindfulness and unplugging and so on. One thing that strikes me is that this incredibly ambitious, hustling millennial who has created this corporate wonderland where instead of doing collaborations with artists, they do collaborations with Sephora, with Target, with American Express. It's absolutely the opposite of the repose and 
removal from daily life. It's actually an intensification of the capitalistic corporate culture <laughs> that people sometimes want to be yeah. a part of. Yeah, I don't want to be too negative about my Museum of Ice Cream experience because, look, you're not meant to go see these things alone. The ultimate standard of whether they're good or bad is whether or not you like to be there with a friend, you know, and whether it looks good on your social feed rather than whether or not it was fun to be there. But that having been said, you know, I was not particularly impressed by the coherence of the theme of the Museum of Ice Cream. It, it does seem like it's a little bit of a mishmash. You go from a subway car to a tunnel of lights to a slide to a beehive, which is really kind of an ad for their honey ice cream. You know, there's a very thin thread, which is just kind of like sweet stuff that is novel enough to um, sustain interest as the background to a photo. Thematically, it strikes me as, you know, and this is a mixed metaphor, but half-baked. Like a, a chocolate chip cookie dough. Yeah, there you, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it is part of the lore of the Museum of Ice Cream that when you walk in, you're supposed to choose an ice cream name for yourself. So what was your ice cream name? Oh, man, I wasn't ready um, for, for that question. There's a lot of emphasis on this when you come in. It's like, get ready to assume your new ice cream identity and it, Walls of examples like Splitney Spears and um, Bernie Sundays. And um, uh, I went with Marshmallow Man. Okay, that's fair, fair choice. It's all I could think of. And so, it's how I felt. So, okay, the last question. Is the ice cream any good? <laughs> well, it's ice cream. And it's hard to go wrong with ice cream. Well, what's going to happen with the Museum of Ice Cream? Will it be a success for a long time? Will it start to gradually melt? I guess we're going to see how it shakes out. In any case, God, Andrew. that's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. The Art Angle is produced by Tim Schneider and Caroline Goldstein and edited by Nick Long. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Ooh.